we give gratefully and everybody shouted. Amen. God bless you. I was buried beneath my shame. Who carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but now. All my failures I try to hide It was my doom Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that I believe God's got a good word for you this morning, and we're going to have a good time in Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 43. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have it on the screen here in just a moment. We'll get to that. This morning, I want to uh, do something a little bit different. I want to talk a little bit about our future. How many know talking about our future is a good thing? You know, one of the things that you have to learn when you're driving is that you have to look down the road. If you are intent at looking at what's right in front of you, uh, it doesn't work out real well. You have to look down the road a little bit, don't you? And you know what else I have found out about driving is, you know, there's a saying that says uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, but when you're driving a car, looking in the rear view mirror ain't so good. <laughs> you know, it's amazing, though, that a lot of people like living their life that way. They like living their life by looking in the rearview mirror. They want to live in the past. But what we really need to do is we need to look forward, don't we? We need to look to our future, what God is doing in our future. And so I want to take just a little bit of our time this morning and, and, and look to the future. And I want to ask you a rather direct question, if I can. Now, I'm not looking for a response. This is a rhetorical question. Does that mean, what is that? What you say, well, what does that mean? That means I want you to think about it. I want you to think about your answer. Don't yell out your answer, okay? And so here's the deal. Are you prepared? When you think about your life, are you prepared this morning to allow the Spirit of God to change your status quo? Think about it. Are you truly ready for God to do something brand new in your life? Something unexpected, something out of the ordinary. Are you ready for God to take you down a road that you've never traveled before? 
Now, before you really answer that, you got to think about it because let me tell you something. When God takes you on roads, he doesn't take the freeway. <laughs> God likes to take the back roads, amen? amen. You know, Kathy and I, uh, last year, or I should say this year in summertime, we went on our vacation and we decided to go uh, on a road trip. And so we drove uh, I think we drove like 4,700 miles or something like that. We drove to Albuquerque, New Mexico, up through Denver, through Wyoming, to Yellowstone, over through Montana, into uh, Seattle, and down the coast, and then back to Kingman. And when we drove that, it was great, because we made the decision to get off the freeway. And there were some places we had to be on the freeway, but more often than not, we found ourselves on roads that end up being those little dot, dot, dots on the map. You ever look at the map and you see the road, you're going, I don't know, that's kind of sketchy. I, you know, um, you, know you, you kind of get a little weird, little towns, you go, you know, we probably don't want to stop in this little tiny town. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to tell you, when you're on those kinds of roads, that's where you really see things. I remember we were, we were I think we were in Wyoming, <clears throat> it might have been uh, uh, Montana, but we had gotten off the road and then we got off the road, off the road type thing, you know. We were on this, uh, basically what it was is somebody, I think, paved a rancher's road. Uh, you, know, you know what rancher's roads are? They just kind of wander out. They, go, they use those roads to go get the cows. That's, it was kind of one of those roads, but somebody had paved this road and connected it to some other little place, and we got on that road. It wasn't even on the map. And this road is winding back and forth and going over hills and different things. And at one point, we come over this hill, and oh my gosh, there was this, as far as you could see, your eyes could see, there was this field filled with yellow flowers. I never saw anything like it. And I mean, it was so cool because there was the old rickety barbed wire fence, you know, with the old posts. And out in the distance, there was this old rickety barn. It was a, a genuine National Geographic shot. You know what I'm saying? I, and I even got pictures of it. I took pictures and I went, see, that's, you don't see that on the freeways. You, you don't see that on highways, do you? Well, when God wants to do something new in your life, he's wanting to do something. He, he wants to take you on a ride that you will never forget. You ever have a friend do that to you? Say, hey, I want to take you out. I had a friend one time that actually was my, he's my cousin, actually, has a boat. And he says, and, and this boat had two engines. It's one of those boats, 850 horsepower on each engine. And he says, I'm going to take you on a ride that you will never forget. And I'll tell you, he did not disappoint. <laughs> That, the, sometimes you get out in that, and that's what God wants to do. God wants to do something exciting. He wants something real in your life. He, he wants you to open up to the possibilities that he can bless you with that are un, unexpected and startling. Think about that. Are you ready to have a blessing that is startling? You know, it's one of those blessings that go, <gasps> you, you know, oh, yeah. It startled me. It's just so sudden and so automatic. It's like, oh my gosh. Are you ready for one of those? Now, now here's the thing. None of us would be so arrogant as to go, no, that's not me. I'm good. I like things just the way they are. Don't fix nothing. Don't change nothing. I, I don't need no blessing. I don't need nothing new. I'm good. None of us would be arrogant to say that. Yet from time to time, 
we develop an attitude that comes across as a little indifferent. We feel like, what's the big deal? Come on, all this talk about new. What's the matter with the old? Right? It's like, what, uh, come on, the, the old. What's, what's the matter with the old? I don't need anything new. Why do we got to change this? Why, why do we have to have something new? The problem is, is when we develop an attitude like that, we end up putting limits on our ability to move into what is fresh and new. It would be such a shame this morning if we closed our hearts to what God wants to do through us. It really would be a shame. Think about it. One of my (coughs) favorite things to do in life, and I know I'm a little weird, and that's okay. I've grown to accept it and kind of come accustomed to my weirdness. But... (laughs) In fact, I rather enjoy it. I kind of like the attention that it brings. But anyway, um, the reality is is, uh, I love getting the mail. I love getting the mail. And I think that the reason that I I love getting the mail is because I got that from my mom. My my family and I, we at one time in the the, uh, mid, mid to late 70s, early 80s, we lived in a place called Holbrook, Arizona. And if you're not familiar with Holbrook, Holbrook is a resort town. It's a resort town on the other side of the state of Arizona. It's 90 miles from Gallup, 90 miles. It's right in between Flagstaff and Gallup. And it's on the other side. It's on the eastern side of the state. And it really is a resort town. It is the last resort. And so um, it's, it's, <coughs> it's one of those cities that you would rather be from or it's really good to travel through. And uh, uh, we were in Holbrook, and my mom was kind of struggling with that. It, you know, my mom, she likes convenience, and she likes, you know, running water and electricity and, and those kinds of things. And, and no, I'm just teasing, but they, it was a tough place to live. And we would always go to the mailbox expecting, anticipating. Because the mailbox resen- uh, represented something new. Maybe... Maybe today our check has arrived. Maybe, maybe there's a, you know, correspondence from a long-lost uncle that wants to take us out of this wretched place. Maybe, maybe there's something that's going to be different. And so we always saw, you know, when I go to the mailbox, I always go with anticipation. Even now, even, you know, 52 years, I, I, go, I walk up to the mailbox and I think, oh, what is in there? What's in this secret thing? You know, my mailbox, you have to have a key to get into it. It's one of those. And I think, oh, and I'm the only one that has a key. I do not let Amy have it at all. Because <clears throat> those are my secrets in there. I, I'm anticipating. Well, it usually just bills, but, but it's always, you know, something could be in there. And I believe it's this kind of anticipation and expectation. It, it's that kind of thing that can bring about real change. Change that's healthy and vital and living. See, our Father in heaven loves the new. The kingdom of God is new and always renewing. Nothing gets old in heaven. Nothing is stale. Nothing is rotten. It's always fresh. It's vital. It's vibrant. And it's alive. There are no warehouses in heaven that are loaded up with stale manna. There's just not. Everything in heaven is brimming with abundance and newness. Can you say amen? 
In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, the Bible says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these are true and faithful. Write these words, for they are true and faithful. Are you hearing that? How many, how many have ever eaten stale bread? Have eaten stale, raise your hand. Okay, a few of us have eaten stale bread. You know, it's the kind of bread when you're, you're, you know, maybe it's late at night and you're thinking, you know what would be really good right now is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you're thinking, wow, that would hit the spot. That would, you know, that would fill me up a little bit, but give me enough, a little bit of a sweet tooth. You know, that would just do it. And so you go to the pantry, the cupboard, wherever you store your bread, and there it is, the loaf of bread that is not. It's, it's like about, you know, it's, it's probably about seven-eighths gone. All that is left is the heel, another slice of bread, and something wadded up that used to be bread in there. And somebody, somebody forgot to put the twist tie back on, so they just took the package and just wrapped it up and tied and threw it in, you know, and they, there it is. And, and then you reach in, and you think, oh, thank God, there's at least something. And you reach in there, and it already feels like toast. It's like, what's up with this? Nobody likes stale bread, but have you ever eaten bread that's fresh out of the oven? Oh, yeah, there ain't nothing like it, is there? You know, when I was a kid growing up in Michigan, my dad and his brothers and my grandfather, they, they were bakers and they owned several bakeries and, and, and they, they baked all the bread for various stores and restaurants in Saginaw, Michigan, and they would literally bake thousands of loaves of bread a week. And I remember I used to help them, and, and, and at one time I worked for my dad, and, and he taught me how to do all that. And, and I remember one of the things we loved is when the bread would come out of the oven. The bread would come out of the oven. We'd cut the ends off it and reach inside and pull out the heart of the bread and just eat that. Oh, there is nothing like fresh bread like that. And let me tell you, let me just as long as we're on the subject, there ain't nothing like fresh donuts. Uh, you don't get a body like this without having that experience. I'm telling you, but donuts that have just come out of the fryer, you pull them out, they're glistening and they're warm, and you dunk them. The heat from the donut is, is so warm that it melts the chocolate, and you put it in, and you have a large glass of ice milk, and, and you, ice, you know, ice cold milk, and, and you're sitting there, and you're alone in the store. I'm actually reliving of, in a moment. I'm reliving this moment. I'm sitting alone in the store. I've just baked everything. I've work from 11 o'clock at night and it's 6 in the morning and I just got the donut and it melts in my mouth. Have you ever eaten stale donuts? I mean, you know, everybody goes, yeah, just get day-old donuts. You can throw them in the microwave. Let me tell you something. You know what day-old donuts taste like that you put in the microwave? They taste like day-old donuts out of the microwave. Amen. But there's something about fresh. Something about new brand new and you and you dig into that and you go man i could eat another <clears throat> and let me tell you you can eat a baker's dozen in about five minutes and not even know it and not even feel full it's melting in your mouth see we can't afford the mindset of complacency and apathy we must not settle for the good old days can you say amen we must look forward to the new thing that God is about to do. See, God wants to do a new thing in us as individuals and as a church. 
He wants to take us to places that we've never been before. He wants to have us do things that we've never done before. God has more for us. It's bigger, deeper, newer. It's more. God is a God of more. He's a God of more than enough. The Bible says he calls himself El Shaddai. The literal translation is the God of mountain. He, it, but he, it's more than, he's the God who is sufficient. He's the God who is more than enough. Listen to the word of God. He says, I want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. Now, I don't know about you, but I got a pretty strong imagination. He says, I want to do above that all that you can think or ask. You know, I was thinking about Jeff Bezos. Who You know who Jeff Bezos is? He's the CEO of Amazon. And he just became the richest man in the world. He just passed Bill Gates. And he has $100.5 billion. I was thinking the other day, I had some free time, and so I thought I'd sit down and just ponder a little bit. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that, and I was imagining if I had that kind of resource, what, what would I do? What would I be? And I, I even told God, I said, listen, God, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not greedy. Take the hundred off. Just give me the point five. <laughs> you know, point five. Now, a lot of people go, oh, you don't want the point five. Well, point five in his world is five hundred million. And I said, so I, give me point one. I'm not even greedy. I just, it's okay. But I want to tell you something. See, my imagination cannot compete with God's reality. Are you catching that? God says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask. But the problem is, if I'm in this mode of like, ah, well, I'll take it or leave, whatever. I undermine my future. I undermine what God wants to do. Now listen to me, I'm not just talking about money because there are things that are greater than money. Many, many, many things that God wants to do. Satisfaction and fullness of life and grace and mercy and goodness and power and glory that God wants to pour out upon our lives. More that we can think or ask. It doesn't matter even what state of mind you're in or where you are in life. God says, I want to make it new. Listen, this kind of message is not just about this time of year. This is about every day. God, that's why he says, every morning my mercies are brand new. (coughs) You know why? Because usually we use up all the mercy he has the day before. You got to make a whole new batch while we're asleep. My kids, man, they need a lot of mercy. (laughs) But the point is, it's new every day. Look at our text, Isaiah 43, starting in verse 18. It says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now this is a powerful portion of scripture. And I want to give you just a little bit of background so you can better understand 
what God's saying because God, he's addressing, he's talking to the children of Israel and they are at this point in their history in a very intensely difficult time. There was threat of invasion all around them from foreign powers that could overrun them. The people of Israel were guilty of drifting away from God and right in the middle of all of that, God speaks to his people and says, I am going to do a new thing. I'm going to do something brand new for you. Now, there's no doubt this morning that our circumstances are far better than these people had. Yet, in spite of their desperation, God came on the scene and says, I want to make it all brand new. That should excite us this morning. It should encourage us and energize us and thrill us because in our lives, God can do the impossible. He can do whatever is necessary. He can move into whatever meager existence that we may have and he can make it wonderfully new. Listen to what God speaks. I want you to see this. Listen to what God speaks to prepare them for this extravagantly new thing in their life. In verse 15 and 17, he says, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and power. They shall lay down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. You know, this verse of scripture is God. He's preparing these people for a new thing. He's saying, get ready, something new. And he begins, the interesting thing to me is, he begins this process by reminding them of what he has already done. How many know that our God is a creator? He is the source of all of our being. He is our king. He is a proven, benevolent ruler, bigger than any of our circumstances. And he is a complete deliverer, making a way where there is absolutely no way. And he is a conqueror of all that comes against us and him. But yet God shows us this, and it's interesting. Because God's right about going to do a new thing, isn't he? He's just about, even what he's referencing here, because what he's referencing is he's referencing the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. And for the children of Israel at that time, God was about to do a new thing. They had been in slavery for 430 years. There was all this slavery and horrible thing, and there was all these things coming against them. How many know that's just like the devil, isn't it? Just about the time God's going to do a new thing, the devil raises his ugly head. But God says, look it, I want you to pay attention to this. He says, I know that there's hard times right now. He says, but just wait and see. This is going to be really good. (laughs) Then he tells them to forget it. God no sooner reminds them of the mighty thing that he did at the Red Sea than listen to his next words in verse 18. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, he's not saying that they're unimportant. 
He's not saying that all that we accomplished before is bad or evil. He's not saying that's no good anymore. He's saying, look, don't get stuck there. He isn't abandoning what he's done. He isn't admonishing them to limit what he's done. He's saying, don't get stuck there. You know what the problem with humanity is? Is we have a tendency to do one of two things. Either we revel in old victory or we nurse old wounds. We're either living in old victories. Do you remember? Man, do you remember? Those days were so good. Wow. I was telling somebody the other day, I was sharing with them a little bit about what happened to us in Needles. When Kathy and I went down to Needles and, and started pastoring down there, we had all-out revival, man. Amen. Was it easy? Anything but. But we had a time where, I was sharing with this friend of mine, I, I told him, I said, we, we had a time where we were going to have this play. It was called Blood Brother. And uh, we had, this play was coming up from uh, Yuma, and I had the schoolyard all picked out, and I had permission and everything. I had done all my due diligence. Well, when the guy gets there, we decide we're looking at it, and it just didn't feel right. The whole logistics just didn't feel right. And so I decided, let's move this. So we moved it across the river to a place called Aquaview. It's basically the hood. <laughs> and so we, we didn't ask permission. We just drove in, we blocked off the road, we set up our stage, and we had the play. Now, meanwhile, while they were setting up, me and a brother were driving around the area as, as people. They were already in their gang costumes and flashing gang signs. And, you know, it was all, and we were hauling people with, with cooler loads of beer and alcohol. And, and, brought, and you say, oh my God, they had, that's what sinners do. They get drunk. So why didn't you stop them? Well, because that's what they do. Do you want to stop them? Don't tell them stop drinking. Tell them about Jesus. And so what we did is we, we brought them all in. We had about 450 people there. We had blacks and white and Mexican and Indian and no fights. And they were all drinking. They're all getting loaded. And then all of a sudden the police showed up. The sheriff showed up. He was mad. DPS helicopter show. I'm not kidding. Actually happened, didn't it, Kathy? And a helicopter showed up. They got the lights on us. And, and the, police, uh, the police officer says, you shut this down right now. I went, they're just about ready to call the altar call. I said, just give them a minute. He goes, you got 10 minutes and I want it done. And so I went to the leader of the play. And I said, you got to call the altar. You got to pull the altar call now. And he did, and 49 people got saved. Oh, it was great. It was great. It really was, and it's a landmark. But God says, forget that. What I'm about to do is going to rock your world. Are you hearing me? See, we could get back, and I could, oh, man, the good old days. What is he doing now? That was 28. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. He's not saying they're unimportant. He's saying don't get stuck. This is exactly what God confronts in our lives through prophecy. 
See, Moses could have never dreamed. I don't think Moses could have ever expected what was going to happen. And I imagine it probably amazed him. As he lifted up his hands or stepped in the water or whatever he did, I don't know what he did as he prayed. I can imagine he's standing there just, can you imagine the first couple seconds that the water parted? (laughs) That's not what I would have thought you'd do. I thought there would be a boat, or maybe you would just kill them out there. I didn't know. Holy cow, you parted the Red Sea. And can you imagine as they're walking through, they could see the water, and they could see sharks and whales. And and every now and then, a little seal would pop his head out. You know, it's just got to be amazing. Isn't God fun? Can you imagine that? you got to have an... And he says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think. Or ask. Parting the Red Sea was off the charts. But God did not want him, them to get stuck there. So he says, listen to the New Living Translation of this verse. He says, but forget all of that, because it does not compare to what I'm about to do. Let me say this to you, church, and to you as individuals. God wants to do a new thing in us and for us, more than we can think or ask. It is his will. Maybe last year was a great year. Maybe maybe 2017 for you was just an awesome year. 2018 can be even better because God wants to do a new thing. Amen. Maybe last year was filled with overwhelming situations. Maybe it was difficult and disappointment. God says, I'm going to make a way that's going to blow your mind. See, God is always ready to invade our dilemma with a divine visitation that is filled with his newness. It's filled with his freshness and his life and his vitality. The problem is we tend to get stuck We get stuck in the past, whether good or bad. Remember, church, that was then. This is now. Now, in our text, there's more here than meets the eye, and we need to pay attention to this, because in verse 19, this verse begins with the word, behold. You say, well, why is that important? Because this word is a very aggressive word that's demanding attention. He's saying, I want you to pay attention, look, see, behold. Too often, we miss what God is up to because we just don't see it clearly enough. And so therefore, we tend to dismiss it. Or worse yet, because we can't see it clearly We refuse to reach out for it. Think about this with me for a moment. You know what the problem with the future is? It's unwritten. And we don't exactly know what's out there. But we do know what is here, and we know what is back there. So the tendency is for us to hang on. To hang on to our past, to hang on to this moment and hang on. And, and we look towards the future and we go, you know, I know because any of us know that God wants us to go in the future. And so 
God says, I want you to reach for that. Reach for what I have. Reach for more. I have more for you. I have more revelation. I have more provision. I have more of me. I have more healing, more grace, more abundance. I have more. Reach for it. I want to do something new. But what it requires in the kingdom is to let go of the past. So as we're reaching, we're hanging on, we're hanging on, and we're reaching, 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 but we can't quite get it because we're still hanging on to the past. It's only when we finally let go that we grab a hold of the future. The problem is we buy in. Amen. That's good. The problem is we buy into the lie that that's not going to be as good as that or that somehow we're getting set up or we buy into the lie that we just don't understand it or, you know what, he's not going to do nothing anyway. And so most Christians live right here, somewhere between past victory and future blessing, which is called no man's land. It's called nowhere. It's called the land in between. See, that's where the children of Israel were for 40 years. They wandered in no man's land between slavery and the promise because they couldn't quite believe the promise was that good. Because with the promise, they saw some obstacles. You know what the amazing thing is? And you kind of got to go with me because I believe God's speaking to somebody right now. The amazing thing about the obstacles for the children of Israel were this, is they had giants in the land. There was fortified cities. And when the spies came back, they had, the problem wasn't the giants, the problem was their perception, not of the giants, but of themselves. Because the words they said is, we look like grasshoppers, in our own eyes. In other words, their viewpoint wasn't even on the problem. Their viewpoint was on them. They, they looked less than. They didn't believe they could do it. But do you know that God had set up a plan? If you, do, if you research it out, God had set up a vast army of hornets. Hey, I don't care how big you are. You get a bee in your bonnet, you're going down. <laughs> And you get, a, you get 40 bees in your bonnet, you're really going down. God has a way. But what we have to do is be willing to embrace that future. We have to be willing to see it. There's also another word that we have to see in this verse 19. He says, behold, I'm going to do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. So I want you to pay attention. He says, pay attention to this because it shall spring. Now that word spring in the Hebrew literally means to sprout. And that indicates something to us that we need to pay attention to. Because what he's actually saying is now it's sprouting. Jesus talks about the kingdom And he talks about how this is manifested in the kingdom in Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 28. He says, he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should keep sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. That's that word spring. 
He himself does not know how, for earth, the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after the full grain in the head. In other words, you often do not see the beginning of God's moving. He says, behold, look, understand, I'm doing a new thing, and it has already begun to sprout. In other words, it's beginning to grow underground, and there is a process that is involved in this miracle. He says, one sows, another waters, another harvests, but God gives the increase. But what happens is when we don't see things happening the way we think of them or the way they should, we tend to undermine and dig up the sprout. Do you know what's so powerful about a sprout? Is a sprout has the power to work its way through concrete if necessary. He said, how do you know that? This spring, you come to the church with me when we're doing weed killing in the parking lot. They find a way through. They push their way through. And so will God's new thing if you don't dig it up. Jack Hayford made this statement. He said, your world <clears throat> is one in which God wants to do a new thing. But he wants you to recognize it's a new thing in you and a new thing for you. It's not novelty or sensation, but it is rich. And it's his working that will crack through any obstacle that would hinder the fulfillment of his glorious purpose in you. Listen, verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, and you shall know it. See, there is something so gracious and so mighty about God telling us he wants, us, wants to do a new thing. He's saying to us, embrace this sprout. I'm doing a new thing, he says. I'm going to push through those things that you think are insurmountable. I'm going to push through those things that seem to have no way. I'm going to make a way. I will cause a road in the wilderness and rivers to flow in the desert. So I want to take this a little bit deeper just for a few minutes. I'm almost done. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, Jesus deals with this by saying this. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. The old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. That way, both the wine and the wineskin are preserved. Now, I can tell you that this portion of scripture has always thrown me for a loop for years. That's kind of like God because it seems to be an answer or it seems to be a statement that's coming out of the middle of nowhere. If you read the context of this, there's doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it. But what he's talking about here is he's talking about new possibilities. See, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, one of the things that he encountered the most was a thing called religious traditionalism. And that religious traditionalism came from a group of people known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a group of people that had their rise in what was called the silent years, the years between the Old Testament and New Testament when there was no open revelation. 
And this group of people called the Pharisees, they were a group of people that were intent on obeying the law. And so their attempt to obey the law, they designed another 600 laws to keep the law. And they came up with all this religious tradition. This is the way we do it. We don't, we don't violate that. We don't change that. We, we don't do anything different. We always do it this way. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and through this statement, he says this. He goes, you know what? That may have served you well then, but it will not take you where I want the people to go. See, when Jesus talked about new wineskins, <coughs> he was talking about something that had been radically changed. New wine is an illustration of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working through our lives. So a new wineskin is an illustration of a person, of a soul, of a, of a life that has been radically changed by the power of salvation. And this process of change is a process that is ongoing through our lives. It never ends. It never ends in our lives, and it never ends in our church. See, God is building his kingdom. He is building his church. And the Bible says he's building it line upon line, precept upon precept. Now listen, from glory to glory to glory. That's word of God. He says, I'm building something. Yes, that was good then, but that is then. This is now. And so he confronts this religious traditionalism and he says, look at guys. He says, that which was in you, this, this was it. it was poured out. And now you have become an old wineskin. You have become brittle. You have become dry. And he said, new wine needs to be poured into you. And if you remain an old wineskin, the pressure of that newness, that pressure of that new wine will blow you apart. See, God wants to do something new in us in this new year. And it's unlike anything we've known before. And we need to make a decision. Am I going to be just stuck in the past? Am I going to be stuck in the old ways, religious traditionalism? Or am I going to look for the new and the fresh? Now listen, when you preach a sermon like this, people can sometimes get a little hinky. They go, oh, what are you saying? You, what, what? We're not changing the message. The message never changes. Jesus Christ and him crucified is absolute. It does not change. His word does not change. But how you present it does. Sometimes how you do church does. What? Hold on now there, preacher. Man, you moved the chairs, that's enough. <laughs> Hang on. You ain't seen nothing yet. Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. He goes, I'm doing a new thing. If you're going to be ready for God's new thing, then you've got to stop hanging on to what you've always done. That's the definition of insanity. 
doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. How about that guy that goes to the doctor and says, hey, doc, my forehead hurts. Hmm, how come? He goes, well, I keep banging against the wall. Well, stop that. Stop it. Don't do that. Well, I'm hoping one day it'll feel good. It will never feel good. Stop that. Sometimes what we've got to do is we've got to let go a little bit so that we can receive. Are you hearing me? Jesus goes on in, in the verse before this in, in Matthew nine sixteen. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk clothes to an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. I had an experience the other day. I'm convinced that Kathy is shrinking my clothes. So I told her I'm taking over all the laundry duties because I'm done with her shrinking my clothes. I know. I just, she, she does that from time to time. She shrinks them, and then, she, you know, I don't know. She just, she never makes them bigger. I'm not sure why that is. But over the years, you know, since we've been married, it's been just a steady progress of shrinking my clothes. But anyway, I, I put on a pair of jeans the other day, and, and I put these jeans on, and I, I, I drop something, and I go to bend over to pick them up, and boy, I'll tell you what, there was an explosion. Rip! It, it was, it was kind of like the Hulk, but in a really unpleasant way. <laughs> It just, and I thought, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what, that's okay. It probably ripped on the seam, you know what I'm saying? So I took my pants off, and I threw them on the bed, and, and I mean, the back end is just, I mean, it's just, it's like a lion clawed me. It just ripped apart. And I looked at her, and I said, there's probably no patching that, is there? Nope, nope. Can you imagine, though? No, no, those are my favorite jeans. We're patching them, baby come in and I got all these patches all over me. It's like, hey, pastor, it's time for a new pair of jeans. See, the problem is, is we like to patch up the old, believing that somehow we've made it new, when in reality, it's just the same old jeans with patches on it. And Jesus says the danger of that is even the patches will tear away and making the tear that you have worse. Are you catching this this morning? See, most churches represent to the world the same relation to God that billboards do to Coca-Cola. He said, what do you mean by that? Most churches promote thirst, but they do nothing to quench it. God help us. We live in a thirsty world. We live in a hungry world. We, let, me, let, me, let me make it a little closer to home. We live in a thirsty city. In a hungry city. They, they don't know it. And it's not food they hunger for. They hunger for God. God help us that we are so committed to our past and our tradition that we can promote the thirst, but do nothing to quench or satisfy. As I bring this to a close today, I want to finish up just a few minutes, and I want to finish up. I want to remind you of the journey that we've been on. And I would like to tell you today that I have been smart enough to conceive this idea, but I haven't. Um, I kind of fell into this. It's something that God did. 
and which I'm thankful for. God often does that. He, he, he has a plan that's going to work its way out. Sometimes we think we know, but we don't know. And the truth is, I probably was a few years back pretty compromised just dealing with the overwhelming situations in my life. But God began us, began us on a journey. Because in the middle of 2015, actually probably around September of 2015, God dropped into my spirit that the theme for 2016 should be identity. And I thought, wow, that's really good because God was dealing with me about identity and how, if, how absolutely important it is to know who we are in Christ. To how absolutely important it is to know what he did for us, what he restored to us, what he gave us back, that identity. So that's why in 2016, our theme was identity. Well, then somewhere around September, October of 2016, God dropped into my spirit the theme for 2017, which would be revela- uh, re- relationship. And, and I, you know, I thought, well, that's great. That's good. And I really wasn't connecting the dots, to be honest with you. I thought, you know what? Re- 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 revelation. Re- relationship, speak it out. Relationship is so incredibly important to have relationship with God. And then this year, as we were going through the year, we get to September, October of this year. And as I'm praying for wisdom and God to help me for the theme for 2018 next year, God dropped into my spirit, family. And at first it was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, family is an extension of relationship and all of that. And and that's all good and well and it's quaint. But then one day, as I was really meditating on it, and actually I was talking with somebody on the platform. I was sharing with somebody, and and it was like I had this moment where God connected the dots. Because it's when we discover who we are, who we really are, our identity in Christ, that sets the platform and the vehicle for us to move into deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with Him so that we can be the family that he always wanted us to be from all the way back in the beginning. And so God has had us on this place, this, this, this thing, and I begin to realize that oh, even the other things that we talked about in our vision and our mission, things like reaching the lost, restoring the broken, and releasing into destiny, those things happen best or are done best in the context of family. See, because when you have a family member that's lost, you'll move heaven and earth to find them. When you have a family member that's broken, you'll do anything to see them healed. You want your family to move on and to be released into the goodness that God has for them. And then I was thinking about when we talked about the one who desperately needs a savior, a healer, a deliverer, who is still lost, still in sin, still broken. When they come into a family, it is then that they can receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. Grace, hope, and transformation happens best in the context of family and community. See, as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, as the people of God, we are God's family. It hit me the other day. I was, in fact, I think I was talking with Jeff Adams, and I was sharing with him the scripture that's been bouncing around on my heart for several years. 
And it's John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those that believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And all of a sudden I begin to understand that right there in those three, those two verses, God's saying it was my will to identify you as my children so that we could be a family. And it hit me and I went, God, that's not by my plan or, or, or some random event. God, you wanted that. That's what you did. That's amazing to me. So in light of that, this year, we're going to make a few changes so that we can accomplish our goals of being a family. So starting in January of this year, January of this year, the first weekend in January, we're going to be merging our Saturday service into our 8.30 and 10.30 services. He said, well, why are you doing that? Well, we're doing that so that we can be a family because we're going to focus on fellowship. We're going to focus on connecting. The problem is, is when you get spread out, it's hard to connect. And so when you come a little closer together, now we can't do it all in one service, but we can do it in two. And we come together and we're going to focus on building. You know, we, we, we do donuts and coffee before every service. And, and we're going to focus on that. Not because we want donuts and coffee, but because we want to connect with one another. And so we're going to have children's church and nursery and all the things that we do in 8.30, which we don't do now. We'll have those in 8.30 and in 10.30 services. But we want to come together so that when those two services cross, we, we cross the family is crossing. And we have fellowship with one another. Our goal is to bring us closer so that we can be that family. We're going to focus on that fellowship. We're going to focus on building life groups, cell groups, small groups. We're going to develop a young adult group. And we're going to develop family-style ministry, and we'll be telling you more about that as time comes. But we're going to work on this thing to be a family because I believe that is the mind of God. You know, the kingdom of God this morning, it's a family. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Jesus is asked, they, said, they came to him and the disciples said, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, sure. Now listen to what he says. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that he didn't say, almighty, sovereign God. He didn't say, come before God and say, you know what, you are the glorious, wondrous one. He didn't come and he didn't even say, he didn't even say, use my name. See, when Jason, my son, when he comes to me, he doesn't go, hey, John, what's up? It'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? He comes and he says, hey, dad. He doesn't even say, hey, father. Because we have a closer relationship. We're not that formal. He says, hey, Dad. Sometimes when he's in a good mood, he'll go, hey, Papa. Sometimes he's a little weird. But when God taught us to pray, he said, our Father. When we're addressing him, we're addressing the Father. Why? Because we're a family. 
for a family. That's the heart of God, church. That's what he wants to do. Everyone here, you're my family. You're, you're my brothers and sisters. And let me tell you something. I've been an only child, and I can tell you what it's like not to have them. I long for brothers and sisters. And that's the heart of God. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we're so thankful, God, for your goodness. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us. We thank you that you have spoken to us. And I pray for everyone that's in this room, Lord, that you would help them, encourage them. Father, cause this revelation to be planted into our hearts that the seed would grow quickly, bearing fruit, God. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for it. And Father, we pray your favor upon it. All the changes we're about to make, God, your favor, your grace. We cry grace, grace unto it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.